The Holy Gospel according to Matthew in the first chapter. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had borne a son and he named him Jesus. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Christ. You may be seated. It came to me as a text message. The sender was very clear, brightly colored on my phone. It said, Leslie Price. Nothing will cause me to put down what I'm doing and pay attention more than the name Leslie Price. The text began, I have been unable to speak to Jesus today. Really, Leslie? It made me wonder, are you experiencing a crisis of faith in some way? Upon further reflection, I realized she was not speaking about Jesus of Nazareth, but Jesus of Alamo Heights. Jesus Garcia administers our parish affairs, our office does our sound engineering technology, and dozens of other things. It was just seeing the name in print it took me aback. <laughs> Leslie might be experiencing something more than merely a challenge in cellular connectivity. There are in fact two who go by that name in this community of faith. Jesus of Nazareth, whom we worship, and Jesus Garcia whom we admire <laughs> and love. I say that because in the text according to Matthew today and throughout the gospel according to Matthew, this first canonical book in the New Testament order, there are two Jesus figures. Jesus of Nazareth, of whom his birth took place in this way, he begins this gospel at least in the first chapter. There's another Jesus. There was another birth in the environs of Bethlehem that came to another woman, a Jesus who would figure later in the gospel with devastating results. I'll get to him in a minute. This year of Matthew begins with these four Sundays in Advent, the fourth of today. We read through the gospel according to Matthew throughout the year. 
while the gospel writers each have their own way of telling the story of Jesus' birth. Everybody's favorite is Luke. The second chapter of Luke has all the romantic details. The Annunciation, the visit of the angel to Mary announcing the conception of the word incarnate, her visit to Elizabeth, all of these romantic stories of shepherds keeping watch over their flock by night. Matthew says, now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. Surely he could do better. The storyline is curt. It's a bit terse. I bear in mind as I read Matthew's gospel throughout that he is clearly perhaps writing to an audience in Antioch and Syria. He's writing to a Jewish audience. He is deeply concerned throughout the entire portion of those 28 chapters to tell a story of a Messiah fulfilling the prophecies of the Hebrew Scriptures. That is extraordinarily significant to him. Matthew tells the story in a very Jewish way. Joseph was quite unaware of all that would be involved in having Jesus the Messiah as his earthly son. All he knew is that he was engaged to a woman, and this, by the way, was an arranged marriage. There, there was no match.com in the first century. People didn't fall in love and choose to marry. Marriages were arranged. Clearly, it was the case. He was engaged to this young woman, and she is found to be with child. He's clueless. All he knows is that being an honorable man, I will uh, disavow this marriage quietly so she not come to public disgrace. The threat to her under Jewish law could have been fatal. To dismiss her quietly was his resolve until the Lord appeared to him through an angel. The angel said, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived within her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Clear instructions have never been given, in my view, regarding the naming of a child. Joseph, in the matter of Mary's pregnancy, his marriage to a young woman upcoming, set him back, but he obeyed. He is named for one who interpreted dreams, as you recall. If you read through the Bible this last year, you recall Joseph was able to interpret dreams, one of the sons of Israel, even Pharaoh's dreams, and save the history of Israel. Joseph obeyed the dream. He took Mary to Bethlehem, and when her time came, he named the baby Jesus, just as directed, but he could never have known all that was to come. Joseph and Mary had really no idea of not only the joy that would be upon them in this birth, but the tragedy, the heartache, the pain that would accompany the death of the son they raised as their earthly boy. Matthew directs our attention to Joseph's son very clearly, identifies him as Jesus the Messiah because there was another Jesus born about that time and about that same place to another woman. We don't meet him again until the 27th chapter of Matthew. Near the end of that time, there we know Jesus the Messiah stands before Pontius Pilate while on trial for his life. We're surprised to meet another. There's another Jesus. Iesun Barabbaton, they read in the Greek text. Jesus Barabbas. Identified by Matthew only as the notorious one. 
Luke and Mark identify him as an insurrectionist and a murderer. But clearly this is a person of very bad repute, a criminal who was imprisoned, and it was the custom of the governor at the time to release one. So he's got two named Jesus. Matthew is very clear to identify Jesus the Messiah. The two come out before the crowd, and for whom do they ask? Give us Barabbas. Matthew 27 sounds very confusing as the evangelist tells the story. Which Jesus shall I release to you? There's no mention of Joseph in this narrative. Maybe he's no longer around to see his earthly son on trial. But the fate and promise embedded in the name of Mary's unborn child becomes abundantly clear. He shall save the people from their sins. One of the most profound passages, I think, in all of the scriptures is this one. Okay, you've got two. There are two named Jesus. Whom do you choose? And they choose the one named Barabbas. Barabbas simply means son of his father, by the way. Abba means father. Barabbas means son of his father. The one they choose is the criminal. According to Matthew's gospel, if you bear the name of Jesus, then apparently no matter what your crimes are, the other Jesus dies and you go free. So think Hebrew with me for a moment. Remember Leviticus 16, if you read through the Bible this year, you remember Leviticus 16 is the beginning of the Day of Atonement. It's the, it, it's the story of the priestly act of taking two sacrificial animals. The priest puts his hands on both of them, bleeds out one and kills that one, and offers it, burns it on the altar, and places the blood on the horns of the altar and sprinkles the people with the blood. The other goes free as the sins of the people are placed upon that animal. Interesting story. I know it was not lost to the people who read Matthew's gospel, who heard it spoken, remembered Leviticus 16, knew the story that one goes free and the other is offered as sacrifice. That's the beginning of the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. Matthew wrote to that audience, and the blood of the one atones for the other, and the other goes free. It's complicated, but that's the story of the son of Joseph, the dreamer. Joseph had a dream. Name your son Jesus, he will save his people from their sins. And it comes to fruition in that 27th chapter of Matthew, when the other Jesus goes free, and Jesus dies. How could any of us know it would turn out like that? How could any of us know as parents how our kids' lives will turn out? When I was a pastor in Wisconsin, it was 39 years ago. It might be 39 years ago today. But it was certainly this time of year, I was about to become a father for the second time. It would be our son Benjamin. I think there were six women with child during that Advent season. And I would say great with child. They gathered in that season of Thanksgiving and then Advent and then Christmas as their expanding maternity was evident to the congregation and they commiserated with one another as only shared motherhood would understand. Things that only those who have given birth and carried children could appreciate. And I'd watch them with great admiration. I was so pleased. And with the birth of each one and the cries of that little child, I realized how much more pleased the congregation was to hear the new life than any preachments I had to share. One by one, each was born, till only two women were left at, at Christmas time and shortly thereafter. A little bit thereafter, our son Benjamin was born, 
nine pounds, 11 ounces of him, big boy. And then only Elise was left, one of the most beautiful women I've ever known, named for a beautiful Aunt Elise who was over 90 years of age. It was at night when the call came, as those calls seem always to come at night. John and Elise called and said, could I come to St. Michael's Hospital? Their son had been born, could I come? I did. The child was born anencephalic and would not survive. Tearfully, I embraced them. We baptized that little son until he passed back into the care of the one who gave us all life at the first. Within two Sundays, the women gathered again in the narthex of Faith Lutheran Church. Five women held new life in their arms, and Elise's arms were empty. Tearfully, I went to talk to Elise and embraced her and said, I'm so sorry. I told her it felt like survivor's guilt that we have these little boys and your arms are empty. And through her tears, she said, you never know how these things will turn out. You take a risk. We'll try again. And she cared for me and she said, Pastor, you've got to have a little faith. (laughs) I'll never forget the testimony of Elise and her fidelity. The one who said, Pastor, you've got to have a little faith. Well, they did have a child again that came to adulthood who is now nearly 40 years old. But we never know what is to become of those who come into our family. Mary, after the Annunciation, and Joseph, after the reception of this dream, they had no idea all that was to come, other than that the son conceived in her was of the Holy Spirit. They had no idea the pain that would be forthcoming three decades later, if you could imagine the suffering death of your daughter or son executed in public. You never know those with whom they'll take up company, those whom we would not choose for them. Yet our times of suffering or challenge, even to the end of life, can be a sign of the one who took the sins of others upon himself and died in the other Jesus' place. That is what Emmanuel means, God with us. Born in an unlikely circumstance to an unlikely couple in the most humble and vulnerable and hungry way. I believe it is this Jesus, Jesus the Messiah, the one who came into Joseph and Mary's home, the one who came into Pilate's court, the one who came to the executioner's hill, he will come again. He comes even here and now. He comes to us at this table to which Leslie will welcome us. He comes in the company of the flesh and blood of everyone who comes down this aisle with you or those who come to you. He comes always and only to give his life so that we may share his in eternity. Amen.